WRFI Community Radio News is made possible by listeners like you. Help us tell important stories about your community. Head to WRFI.org slash donate. Kennyrinder Studios in the historic Clinton House in downtown Ithaca, New York. This is WRFI Community Radio News for Monday, December 14th, 2020. I'm Michaela Savitt. After the headline news, you'll hear an episode of the podcast Audio Interference, which explores the relationship between cultural production and social movements. Today's selection features part of the Archiving Abolition series, made in collaboration with Survived and Punished New York. Then you'll hear a segment about tenants' rights in New York State. First, here's the weather forecast, courtesy of the National Weather Service. Tonight, the chance of flurries continues with lows in the mid-20s. Tomorrow, expect sunshine with possible morning snow. Tomorrow night, mostly cloudy with lows in the upper teens. And looking to Wednesday, afternoon snow is likely into the evening with highs in the upper 20s. And now here's tonight's news for Ithaca and Watkins Glen. In local news, the Tompkins County Health Department is alerting the public of numerous potential COVID-19 exposures in the area. The latest warning details that an individual who tested positive for COVID-19 had attended a funeral service at Perkins Funeral Home in Dryden during a time when they could have infected others. The individual who tested positive is now in isolation and close contacts identified are in quarantine. The potential public COVID-19 exposure at the business may have occurred at the Perkins Funeral Home on Saturday, December 5th, 3 p.m. In addition, the Odyssey Bookstore in Ithaca has been impacted by a public exposure to the coronavirus. An employee working at the bookstore who tested positive is now in isolation, and all known close contacts are in quarantine. The Odyssey Bookstore exposures were on Tuesday, December 8th, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., Wednesday, December 9th, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Thursday, December 10th, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. In addition, there was a possible public exposure to COVID-19 at the Wegmans Deli counter among two employees. The public exposures may have happened at on Saturday, December 5th, from 8 a.m. to 9.30 a.m., and Wednesday, December 9th, from 8 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. The Tompkins Health Department recommends anyone who is possibly exposed to the virus at any of these periods to monitor their health for COVID-19 symptoms and learn about how to get tested at wrfi.org coronavirus. 
The latest COVID-19 case numbers as of the time of this broadcast were released yesterday from the Tompkins County Health Department. Sadly, there was another death at Oak Hill Nursing Home in Ithaca. Now five residents at Oak Hill have passed due to the outbreak at their facility. Over the weekend, there were 63 additional positives and 75 new recoveries. And according to the county health department, that leaves 308 active cases of COVID-19 in Tompkins. Eight remain hospitalized with complications from the virus. In Schuyler County, over the weekend, there were 20 new cases of COVID-19, and 16 of the individuals had known contact with someone who had tested positive. As of today, there are 34 active cases, according to the Schuyler Health Department, and three people remain hospitalized due to the virus. In some breaking news today, the Ithaca City School District will transition to full-distance learning beginning tomorrow due to many mandatory isolations and quarantines of both students and staff across the district. A letter from ICSD Superintendent Dr. Lavelle Brown indicates that a COVID-19 testing program will be implemented come January 3, 2021. That's also when distance learning is expected to end. Grab-and-go breakfast and lunch will continue to be available for pickup at Boynton Middle School, LACS, and Fall Creek Elementary School from 10 a.m. to noon every virtual learning day. More information on the recent change and homeschool meal delivery can be found at the website ithacacityschools.org. Now for some more bright news for your Monday. This morning, Sandra Lindsay, a critical care nurse in Queens, was the first New Yorker and American to get vaccinated for COVID-19 in a non-trial setting. The FDA approved the Pfizer vaccine for public use over the weekend, and thousands of doses of the vaccine arrived around the country today. 346,000 doses of another version should arrive next week, reports WMHT. Both vaccines have efficacy rates of over 90% and require two doses. The first vaccines in New York are reserved, reserved for those who live and work in nursing homes and for healthcare workers on the front line. Electoral college votes today, and lawsuits may be behind us. Meanwhile, there was violence at D.C. at a pro-Trump rally, and the nation has its eyes on Georgia as early voting begins in the Senate runoffs. More on the latest U.S. election news, courtesy of our friends over at Pacifica Network and the Public News Service. Welcome to 2020 Talks, where we track the 2020 elections in uncharted territory. When the electors vote, he should put the country first, take pride in his accomplishments, congratulate Joe Biden, and help him off to a good start. With the Electoral College convening today, retiring Republican Senator Lamar Alexander of Tennessee told NBC's Meet the Press that President Donald Trump needs to formally concede his loss to President-elect Joe Biden. Electors will formally cast their votes for president and vice president today. 32 states have laws on the books that require electors to vote according to which candidate won the popular vote in their state. 
Political science professor David DeMore at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, says that can't change. Basically, you can't be a faithless elector. DeMore says Biden is set to win by 74 electoral votes. You have to win less populated states that take up big parts of the map. That's what Biden did that Clinton didn't do you know, four years ago by taking those uh, the upper Midwest states. On January 6th, the votes will be read and counted in Congress. The U.S. Supreme Court rejected a lawsuit on Friday led by Texas and supported by 16 other states seeking to overturn the election results. More than 100 Republican members of Congress backed the effort. Sylvia Albert of the nonpartisan group Common Cause says no matter which party you support, it's striking to see elected officials disregard certified election results. That's not democracy. They're basically signaling that they only believe in democracy when the votes are for them. Trump and his allies have succeeded in just one out of nearly 60 post-election lawsuits. However, 82 percent of Trump's backers still don't believe Biden is the legitimate winner, according to a new CBS News poll. Several thousand Trump supporters gathered in D.C. on Saturday to dispute the election results, including Proud Boys, a neo-Nazi group known for inciting violence. The crowd cheered as Trump's helicopter flew by en route to the Army-Navy football game in West Point. Heavy police presence kept Trump backers and counter protesters apart much of the time. But the mood changed as night fell and violence erupted. Eight police officers were injured in the clashes. Four people were stabbed and nearly three dozen protesters were arrested. Early voting starts today for Georgia's two U.S. Senate runoff races, which will decide the control of the Senate. President-elect Joe Biden will be there tomorrow for a rally in support of the Democratic candidates. Over the weekend, former Alaska governor and 2008 vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin headlined a conservative-run bus tour and urged Republicans in Georgia to crush the vote. We're looking at, really, which way is America going to go? January 5th is a crossroads for America. For Pacifica Network and Public News Service, I'm Mary Sherman. Thanks for listening. And that concludes our headline news for tonight. Coming up, you'll hear an episode of Audio Interference, plus more on New Yorkers' tenants' rights from an area attorney who works for Legal Services of Central New York to represent low-income tenants. That's after the break on WRFI Community Radio News. Stay with us. Listen as your day unfolds, challenge what the future holds, try and keep your head up to the sky. Lovers, they may cause you tears, go ahead, release your fears, stand up and be counted, don't be shamed to cry. You gotta be, you gotta be bad, you gotta be bold, you gotta be wiser. Desiree with You Gotta Be here on WRFI Community Radio News. I'm Michaela Savitt. And now we will bring you another episode of the podcast Audio Interference from the Interference Archive. The organization explores the relationship between cultural production and social movements. And it's based in Brooklyn, New York. Today's episode is part of their archiving abolition series and made in collaboration with Survived and Punished New York. Survived and Punished is a grassroots abolitionist group that works to eradicate the criminalizations of survivors of domestic and sexual violence and the culture of violence that contributes to it. 
Together, the Interference Archive volunteers came up with questions that survived and punished sent to their comrades. This episode is a response from Annette Farrell, read by a survived and punished volunteer. Here you go. In this episode of Audio Interference, produced by Interference Archive, we're sharing reflections from Annette Farrell, a survivor on the inside. The episode stems from a collaboration with Survived and Punished New York, a grassroots abolitionist group that works to eradicate the criminalization of survivors of domestic and sexual violence and the culture of violence that contributes to it. One way or another, they're going to try to divide us all. One way or another, they're going to try to divide us all. Prison walls create barriers to communication. Through our collaboration, we're patching up some information gaps by sharing the experiences of folks on the inside with those on the outside, as well as archiving survived and punished organizing strategies to free all who are incarcerated. One way or another, they're going to try to divide us all. One way or another, we're going to have to fight them all. One way or another, we're going to have to fight them all. One way or another. Together, we came up with questions that Survived and Punished sent to their comrades. Interview questions are read by me, Celia Easton Curler from Audio Interference. Here is Zoe introducing Survived and Punished comrade Annette Farrell. Hi, my name is Zoe and I am a member of the newsletter working group in Survived and Punished New York. And today I will be introducing and voicing Annette Farrell's responses to the podcast questions. Um, Annette Farrell, nickname Annie, Annie May, and signature Symphony Lust, is a 25-year-old mother of four from New York. She's a lover of creative arts, including poetry, reading, and visual art making. What should the world know about you? The world should know that I am the true outcome of history. I'm resourceful, I have a purpose just as anyone else, and I'm not my conviction, but a leader of my own. I am veracity. How do you access information? What information do you feel you're missing? What information are we missing? Honestly, I access information through the news and friends at home and books. The information that we as people miss out on is the positive and only focus on the bad, allowing ourselves to become brainwashed. How has access to information and your loved ones Let's be realistic, people. This COVID-19 is a government purge to this increased population, but my access to information and family has become more frequent because I have children to care for within the so-called pandemic. What do you think are effective models for solidarity across boundaries? Effective models, me, of course, and many other people who don't take judgment of one but support them no matter the situation or risk of being taken. By helping, you and your community show true potential. Access comes from the Latin excessus, meaning a coming to, from the adjective to, plus the What would you like to see our world moving towards? What do you think is preventing that movement? I would love to see the world moving towards equality, positivity, peace, 
and embracing the reason why history was made to set an example. What prevents these movements from occurring is sexism, racism, prejudice, ignorance, and selfishness against each other. Some of us make it seem to be impossible to make our world a better place because we refuse to put our thoughts together and make positive change and less negative judgment. Focus by building one another and helping one grow instead of looking down on others to make it seem as if you are bigger. Thank you. Yeah, one way or another, they're gonna build all those damn walls. One way or another, they're gonna build those damn walls. One way or another, they're gonna try to divide us all. One way or another, they're gonna try to divide us all. We have is all. A huge thank you to Annette for sharing her story with us. We'd also like to thank Lei Sui, Yves Tong Nguyen, Hina, Zoe Vong Tao, Red Schulte, and Mariah Hill, along with everyone else at Survived and Punished, for working with us on this episode. To learn more about Survived and Punished, visit their website, survivedandpunishedny.org. If you haven't already, we encourage you to listen to the other responses from folks inside. We also published an in-depth interview with folks from Survived and Punished about their work. To listen, find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening, and take good care. we have is all above all we have is all above again this is wrfi community radio that was an episode of the podcast audio interference out of the art interference archive in brooklyn today's selection was part of the archiving abolition series made in collaboration with survived and punished new york more episodes at interferencearchive.org and next Monday on our show. I'm Michaela Savitt. Happy Monday to you all. We have one more feature left for tonight, and it's about tenants' rights. Ithaca's rent has on average been increasing every year, according to the Census American Community Survey. To help with tenants and protect their rights, Ithaca Tenants Union was created last year and their work has become even more prevalent amid the pandemic. High numbers of unemployment in New York State and financial impacts from the pandemic have affected many people's ability to pay rent. Well, up next on our program, you'll hear a piece that first aired over the summer on WRFI's Inquiring Socialist. In this segment, Teresa Alt speaks with attorney Bill Nibel about tenants' rights. WRFI news intern Tessie Devlin edited this episode for brevity for our show. Enjoy. Inquiring socialist, she speaks with attorney Bill Nibel, who works for legal services of Central New York in Binghamton to represent low-income tenants. He is also a pro bono volunteer with Ithaca Tenants Union, which is an organization that protects tenants and provides free legal advice. 70% of the city of Ithaca is made up of tenants, according to the Tompkins County government website. But does everyone who rents know their rights? 
Bill and Teresa speak about some of these frequently asked questions, and they first begin by discussing a tenant's right when it comes to a security deposit. In the past, I know it's been that sometimes a landlord would require two or three months uh, of monthly rent, in essence, as a security deposit. Uh, fortunately, last year, the Tenant Protection Act was signed into law, and that set up some very good rules and procedures with respect to security deposits. So a security deposit now or any kind of advance that's paid to the landlord before moving in cannot be more than one month's rent. And there's additional protections under the security deposit law now. For example, it's a much quicker, uh, streamlined process for getting the security deposit back after the tenant moves out within a matter of weeks, whereas in the past it may have taken months. Additionally, there's a, there's a provision now that if the tenant requests it after signing the lease, but before they move in, they can actually do an inspection of the place they're going to rent and see any pre-existing damage that might be there. So that can be documented and it doesn't get billed to them uh, later out of their security deposit. Bill then explains if and when landlords are permitted to enter a renter's home without notice. Can the landlord just come in at any time? Well, the answer is no, with one big exception. So I say no because the general understanding in the law is that a landlord has to give reasonable notice to come in at a reasonable time. So what that usually means is notice of at least 24 hours has to be given to the tenant. Of course, the landlord really should try to get an agreement from the tenant that this is a good time, that this day will work, and if not, you know, cooperate on selecting another day. And then the landlord should be coming in at a reasonable time, which usually that's nine to five, sort of ordinary business hours. But of course, if the landlord knew, for example, that the tenant works nights, then the landlord wouldn't necessarily be reasonable saying they're going to come in at nine or 10 in the morning. Maybe it should be later in the afternoon or the evening. And then the big exception I mentioned when a landlord could just come in at any time is in a true emergency. So the classic example is a pipe burst, and there's going to be some real damage if the landlord doesn't just get right in there. When something needs to be fixed, Bill and Teresa talk about what to do. Having the written documentation uh, would provide the tenant with some protection in the event that happened. Uh, yes, where have I heard this kind of thing before? I think in, uh, in workplace problems, keep your records, keep your records. Yeah, document, document, document. Regarding whether or not a landlord can enter a tenant's home during COVID, Bill says, Well, I'm thinking of one thing that I've heard a couple of times in my practice, and that's the landlord wanting to come into the apartment, as we talked about earlier, oh, uh, yes. even with proper notice, but just wanting to come in for a routine inspection or routine maintenance. And the tenant, understandably, saying, you know, I don't want that because I don't want to be potentially exposed. Uh, to the pandemic, to the virus at this point. And so we've just reasoned on it generally that just like everything else, only essential activities should still be happening. So it should really only be essential stuff that a landlord needs to take care of, almost like an emergency, like we said. It should, a landlord should not be insisting now on you know, coming into the person's personal space just for routine maintenance. He explains how much a late fee for rent can be and when it can be charged. If they don't receive the rent within five days of the due date, they can potentially charge a late fee, but it's limited to either 5% of the monthly rent 
or $50, whichever is less. And that would have to be in a lease, too. There really can only be a late fee charged if there's a lease providing for it. If someone is behind in paying rent, Attorney Nibel mentions that there are community services available to help. Usually folks, if they're behind in rent, they could uh, seek assistance from County Department of Social Services. Uh, sometimes there's ongoing rent assistance available there, or there can just be one-time emergency assistance available. Uh, there's also like the Community Action Agency. I think it's Tompkins Community Action. Or, yes. Catholic, or Catholic Charities, something like that. Evictions are complicated, and there's a lot of different types. For example, he explains that people who rent month-to-month can get evicted at any time. If you want more flexibility, sometimes it is wise to have uh, the month-to-month arrangement, if a landlord is willing to do that, or, or just a shorter-term lease. And you're right, usually if someone's month-to-month, they don't have a written lease. Sometimes they do, though. There are actually monthly rental agreements out there. And again, the downside being then that either the landlord or the tenant can terminate it on relatively short notice, on a month or so notice, and uh, and that's that. Of course, rent could also be raised on shorter notice. This is what Nibel recommended when a renter gets evicted. Depending on which notice you receive, the landlord needs to file a certain kind of eviction after that needs to wait a certain amount of time to file that eviction. So there's a number of different variables that it would be good to have an attorney review if they were done right. Continuing with the conversation about evictions, he points out that tenants have more rights now because of the Tenant Protection Act. So there's even more rights, again, for a tenant under the Tenant Protection Act that even if they're not able to pay within those 14 days, when they get that 14-day notice, Even if they get eviction papers that have been filed with a court, served on them, they're still able to pay and stay. They still have the right to pay and stay. It's not too late. Even if they go to the hearing in front of the judge and they're able to pay what they owe, they still get to pay and stay. It's not at that point too late and the landlord can say, I don't want their money anymore. I just want to evict them. That's That's not the case. Locally, Bill said that there is a suspension for all evictions due to COVID-19. Courts are not allowing evictions to continue. And regarding whether or not a landlord can enter a tenant's home during COVID-19, Bill says the following. Well, I'm thinking of one thing that I've heard a couple of times in my practice, and that's the landlord wanting to come into the apartment, as we talked about earlier. Oh, uh, yes even with proper notice, but just wanting to come in for a routine inspection or routine maintenance. And the tenant, understandably, saying, you know, I don't want that because I don't want to be potentially exposed uh, to the pandemic, to the virus at this point. And so we've just reasoned on it generally that just like everything else, only essential activities should still be happening. So it should really only be essential stuff that a landlord needs to take care of, almost like an emergency, like we said. It should, a landlord should not be insisting now on you know, coming into the person's personal space just for routine maintenance. As Teresa and Bill mentioned in their conversation, that residents in Tompkins County and Schuyler County can receive legal assistance from Legal Services of New York. Ithaca Tenants Union hotline is 607 301 one five six zero. 
You can also email them at ituhousinghotline at gmail.com or visit their website at www.ithacatu.org. Also, the number 211 is a general hotline you can dial to receive local services. For Schuyler County residents, 877-211-8667 is the number for information referral. For WRFI Community Radio, I'm Tessie Devlin. Again, that was WRFI news intern Tessie Devlin. She put together a shortened version of Teresa Alt's conversation with Bill Nibel, uh, a attorney in the area, and that conversation first aired on The Inquiring Socialist. And that will do it for our program today. Our stories were brought to you by Fred Balfour and me, Michaela Savitt. And today's feature producers were the volunteers at the Interference Archive in Brooklyn. And, of course, WRFI News intern Tessie Devlin. And special thanks to The Inquiring Socialist. I'm Michaela Savitt, WRFI News Director and Executive Producer for our program. Back tomorrow night and every weekday evening at 6. Take care, be well, and have a good evening. One, two, three. WRFI. WRFI.